Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Evans, this is Jim. How can I help you? Good afternoon, Jim. Afternoon. I have a question regarding a, a two and three-eighths fence post on my eight-foot cedar fence. Okay. They're about 30 years old, and I'm... Uh, it's about time to replace the pickets. Uh, you know, they're just, just babies right now. But, uh, you know, being 30 years old, they're probably needed to be replaced. But my fence post on one side of my house is listing several degrees away from my house, and I don't have any way of pulling them back uh, by straps or anything else. What is a what do what can I do? Is it loose? No. Okay. Uh, is there a hill on that side or something? No, sir. Okay. Normally, what causes the post to, to lean like that? The soils, when they dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they expand again. And depending on when the holes were drilled, what type of weather it was when the holes were drilled, uh, where it can become a real issue is if the soils were moist, the hole is drilled. The first time the soils dry out, that fence post becomes very wobbly. And so you, you when the soils swell up again, it tends to lean, and each time that it goes through that cycle, it leans a little bit further. The fix. Well, this is Palmer's branch, you know. Like, oh yeah, black gumbo. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, I, I, I got to say, I love the soil there. Well, I mean, being a foundation repair guy, that's just some great <laughs> soil. Uh, well, you know, there's been a lot of been a lot of nice uh, single level homes that have developed into split level homes. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Well, do, uh, I, do I need to get do I need to get some out here and just uh, pull them up or can I dig around them and try to force them back? Or do well, I that, and that, that's what I was going to actually suggest is you, you, you can dig on the side that you need to lean it into, push the post over where you need it. And, you know, it used to be I would tell you mix, put some con dry concrete down in the hole. But now they've got the foam that you can use for like setting mailboxes and stuff. Oh, yeah. And you can actually put that foam down in there to fill the void. Okay. And it expands and and tightens everything up. Uh, and that way, if you overcut a little bit on the side that you're pulling it to, you can put some of the foam down in there as well, and it tightens it up, and you're good to go again. What is the foam uh, branded by? You know, actually, I think Quickcrete put it out. You'll, you'll okay. find it at the at the box stores and stuff okay. where where the concrete mix is. All right. So this is just a hands-on manual job. It's what you're saying it usually is. Yeah, get you some elbow grease out and, and oh, uh, Jim, put on the back back belt. That's not what I wanted get, to hear. Get, get to work. <laughs> okay. You guys have a good day. Thank you. For you as well. Time. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye. You know, the unfortunate thing about most projects, it always comes down to the same thing. It's going to be elbow grease and... You know, wearing out the back. It's just a matter of, are you going to do it yourself or are you going to hire somebody to do it? And, you know, it's something like this where it really is just manual labor. This is something that's pretty easy for most homeowners to do. Now, a couple little tricks that, that I should have gone over with, with Bevan there. For digging down along that post, get a sharpshooter. You know, one of the long, narrow shovels. Rather than using a regular shovel, because you... You're going to find that you don't need the amount of dirt taken out that a regular shovel is going to take out. And that sharpshooter reaches down deeper into the soil than a regular shovel 
in a smaller space so you're not having to open it up quite as much so that'll make it much easier for you and right now soils are, are fairly dry uh, you know we haven't been having a lot of rain you may have to put just a little moisture in it to make it diggable uh, some of those black gumbo clay soils they are like rock when they're dry but you add a little moisture it becomes very soft you add too much it turns to muck and then you got a a, a different problem so it, there's a fine line between enough and too much but uh, that's one of those things you just got to play with a little bit there ed welcome to texas home improvement thank you jim and how are you and your staff today oh i am doing wonderful great i have a question i was wondering if you think in putting up maybe like a workshop a bunkhouse shed or a like a solar cabin do you think like a post-tension slab, you know, would be adequate and safe? Oh, absolutely. Now, depending on how big a structure you're going to put, I mean, how, what size are we talking about? Well, the the shed is probably not going to be real big. I mean, like 10 by 12, and the, uh, the eventual uh, uh, cabin probably around maybe 20 by 20. i got to be honest. I probably wouldn't bother with post-tension post on, on, on things that size. I would go with just regular rebar. Just regular rebar then. Yep. Okay. Now here's here's the thing with post tension versus conventional rebar. The original theory on post tension cables was, you know, they, they tried to sell it to homeowners that oh, if the foundation ever moves, they can retension these cables and pull it back up. Well, that don't happen. The, the secondary thing you gotta keep in mind, post tension cables were originally developed for doing bridges and things like that. It allows concrete to have a little bit of flexibility to it. And we don't need flexibility on structures that we're putting rigid sheetrock and stuff like that on it. Mm -hmm. So although I don't have any real issues with how post-tension cables are done nowadays, in the past they got them too, too spacey and things like that. But uh, you know, if you're doing smaller structures like what you're talking about, the rebar... Uh, actually stiffens it up better uh, you'll find that it'll probably be less expensive on a small structure like that than going with the uh, post-tension cables and much faster okay and and concerning the walls and the roof to, to try to make it more not necessarily fireproof but fire retardant how do you feel about maybe using like um, the hardy plank with maybe the hardy uh you know, cement wall inside that has the kind of a groove, a tongue groove that slides in piece by piece, along with some kind of aluminum roof to, to make sure in case there was ever a firestorm, you might have a chance at least having something left there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the nice thing about Hardy is it's not going to catch fire. Uh, you will find, like, say on your ceiling, if you want to have something with texture, use the uh, stucco board that Hardy has, mm -hmm. and it, it's gorgeous. And, yeah, and I, I, can, I can tell you that uh, my parents used to have a place down on Galveston Island, and the downstairs flooded. When we built it back, uh, we went we went back with the uh, T-111 type siding like you're talking about that has the grooves in it mm -hmm. on the inside because we knew sooner or later it would flood again. That way we didn't have to tear everything out every time it flooded. So, well, yeah, I was it, just thinking, though, and my, my my thought about putting up that 
shed first is that at least if it's going to be out in in the country slightly off grid, but not completely, at least that way I'd have a chance to make an attempt at locking up some of my materials and not having to worry. You know, where if I just tried to put up the cabin, I'm afraid I might have a problem where if I can't be out there all the time, things would just disappear. Yeah. Well, that's where you hang the sign that says, this property guarded by Smith & Wesson three nights a week. You pick the night. <laughs> okay. That might not be too bad, Jim. Well, look, Ed, uh, you have, you so much. You bet. Yeah, you you have, have a Merry Christmas. You the same, Jim. Thank you, sir. Let's head up to Oklahoma, and Mike, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Well, thank you. First, I want to say you got a great show. Thank you very much. And I've learned a lot just in about the last 20 or 30 minutes. Well, I appreciate that. Well, what I'm looking at is a house that's probably about 18 to 10 years old, and I've got a large closet that I was wondering what would be involved in putting in a, uh, a, a storm shelter. Okay. How I'd anchor that to the floor, and and if I need to take the studs and everything out, or or just secure uh, whatever kind of a well, wall that I use, concrete or steel, to build the, the roof. Yeah, it, it really depends on what you decide to build. Uh, and, and I say that because they, they have so many different choices of material now. You know, it used to be you would take the steel plates and they would have an angle on the bottom and you'd use uh, bolts that were drilled down into the concrete to anchor it. Right. Uh, and and also attach it to the studs. Then they Now they also have Kevlar that you can put on the stud walls inside. But the, the only issue I have with the Kevlar-type systems where it, when it, if it's designed to mount just to the studs, you know, that whole structure can still go. Right. So they do make Kevlar ones that also mount to the foundation as well, but I'm still pretty partial to the, to the steel myself because... Uh, the bolts are, are mounted harder. The Kevlar is great for taking impact, but if the whole structure blows, uh, there's some questions in my mind still for that. So what I would look at is the, the steel panels that you can construct it inside the closet. Uh -huh. Use your existing closet walls then as the outside. You mount it. You, uh, the floor, everything is mounted steel in there including the overhead. Uh, as far as what they use to mount, it's different size bolts that are drilled down into the concrete and anchored in the concrete and then uh, obviously, you know, hold down the steel and everything. But beyond that, i got to be honest, I'm not a storm shelter expert. I, I've looked at them several times. I understand how they work. Personally, they scare the heck out of me. Because I, I, my biggest fear is I get into this thing, the storm comes, and I can't get back out later. <laughs> yeah. But that, I, I guess that's better than going away with the house, you know? This is true. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Mike, good luck with that. Thank you. Have a Merry Christmas. You as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I go into very tight, confined spaces, but getting trapped into something is is just one of those one of those fears I shouldn't have that I do have, and and that's my only fear with uh, storm shelter stuff. I, I think they're wonderful for protection, but 
I just I just have some little quirky fears on that. Of course, as I'm watching a tornado come across the ground, I bet I'd have my butt in there pretty quick. David, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Fixing to be back at the house. Uh, fixing to do something about the insulation in my attic. It's about a 20-year-old house, old blow-in insulation that's compacted down pretty good over the years. Uh, give me the pros and cons on more blow-in insulation as compared to going with the foam. And if you recommended the foam, and I'll probably be in the house another 15 years at least, <clears throat> but with the foam insulation, is it worth the price to drag all the blow-in insulation out and do a ceiling, or is it better to just go ahead and do the roof foam? Well, they typically don't put the foam insulation on the ceiling in a room. If, if they're going to blow the foam, the foam, it's going to be on the roof deck. And so at that, you're heating and cooling your attic space as well. Correct. And that can be a, a plus or a minus because the minus side is, hey, that's more square footage that you got to heat and cool, but you're not raising the temperatures to the normal temperatures. The, the plus side of it, though, is you can store stuff now in that attic without it deteriorating like it would in a hot attic. As far as cost-wise, though, I'm going to tell you up front, you will never recoup the cost of foam insulation in an attic uh, okay. because it's too easy to put fiberglass insulation in an attic which is much less expensive and have the same result so unless you're looking for that heated and cooled space to store stuff I don't typically recommend going with a foam insulation as far as uh, what I would put in an attic like that Take a look at going with bat insulation. I mean, you can you, you can go back with the fiberglass blown-in insulation. Over time, it will settle again. But it you know if you're going to only be there another 15 years, it'll last that long. But if you went with the the bat, you know the 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 stuff that you roll out, it won't settle. Once it's there, it's there to stay, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper than going with the foam. If you're going out looking for a new house, here's the things I look for. What's the roofing deck material made out of? Is it particle board or is it real plywood? Uh -huh. What's the spacing on the roof rafters? I'm looking for 16-inch. Some, some builders are still using 20-inch. Uh, I typically want to see either a uh, roof trust, trust system, uh, you know, where it's all pre-assembled and then put up there, which would normally be 2x4s, or if it's built in place... I'm looking for a minimum of two by six up on the roof. In some cases, if it's a long span, uh, you even have to go up to two by eights. So we're starting at the top and working our way down. Then uh, for uh, walls, I want two by fours, 16 inch centers. I don't want to see the 20 or 24 inch centers. I want to see found a foundation that was engineer designed but realistically, I'm looking for beams that are at least 24 inches deep. Sometimes you're getting 16 to 18, and in most soils, I just don't like that because it's too much flexibility. Uh, I want to see a waffle slab, not just beams under the load-bearing walls. And a waffle slab typically has beams each direction every 10 feet in the in the foundation. Uh-huh. Uh, on the outside of the house, 
I'm looking for uh, brick or stone. Uh-huh. Uh, not, and I don't want the, the uh, low-grade Mexican brick because it crumbles too much. If I'm using wood siding, I want a James Hardy siding because I don't have to worry about it burning or anything. And, Ahmed, if you'll hold on, we're going to sure, go into the energy-efficient stuff. Quick question. Yeah, I'm going to have to put you on hold. i got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. When we left, I was talking with uh, Ahmed, and he was asking about when you're looking for a new home and uh, let's get into some of the energy efficiency stuff I would look for. Okay. On on your air conditioning system, I want 16 sear or higher on the AC system. And if at all possible, I love the variable speeds like the carrier infinity system. Uh-huh. Uh, Insulation-wise, a lot of builders are wanting to use spray foam insulation to enclose everything. I don't like that. Use the spray foam in the walls because inch for inch it gives you the highest R value. In the attic, use fiberglass because you can get the same R value. You've got the space up there, and it keeps the house breathable so you don't have to worry about sick home syndrome. Uh, especially, you know, after all the flooding we've had in Houston, it's easier to dry out the house and maintain it when we're without power or after a flood like that. So... Okay. Uh, and then uh, when you get into water heaters, tankless. Don't don't put a tank water heater in a new house. Go with tankless. Okay. Okay. If it's gas, I want the vent pipe to be PVC, which means it's a higher efficient tankless water heater. The lower efficiency ones require a double wall stainless steel. The higher efficiency use the uh, PVC vent. So. Those are just some items I would look at. Carol, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I have a 28-year-old home, and I have many projects to tackle. So the first one is plumbing. Um, there's a drip coming from the sink in the upstairs bathroom that I can hear in the wall of the downstairs bathroom. Um, that downstairs bathroom has already had problems with the toilet and the um the flooring, you could hear the, the you know squishy water, and so the plumber came over and said, "Oh, let me tighten the the toilet." Okay, so I thought that was the end of it, but then we started hearing the drip from upstairs. Will he have to get in the wall, tear up mm. the wall to find where the where the because whoever's brushing their teeth up here, you just hear that water start dripping. So okay. now I'm wondering, is the floor part of you know coming from the uh, wall. Are you hearing it downstairs or are you hearing it upstairs when No, when we're they're... hearing it in that downstairs bathroom that I was always having problems with. Hmm. Uh, and it's in my even my son this morning said, Mom, I'm feeling the wall. You know, I can, I can you, you right here is here's you know, here's the wall in the tiny bathroom downstairs. That that water is just dripping. Well, it is possible that it's dripping in the wall and if that's the case, yeah, you would have to open up that wall. But so do I problem, do that before the plumber comes, or no. does the plumber do that? No, I would let I I wouldn't do it ahead of time because uh, there are ways of finding where leaks are. Mm -hmm. uh, now, drain system leaks like that, it becomes a little bit tougher uh, when it's in a wall. If it's under a slab, you can isolate and find it, and I think it could be done in the wall as well. Basically, it's probably in the vent stack that's that's leaking or in the drain pipe going down. Either way, a test ball should be able to be put into it. A what? A test ball. 
Okay. And and you, they blow that up, fill the, the system with water, and hear if they if they see if they're hearing the drip, and continue moving the ball up in the pipe until they're no longer hearing the drip. That gives them kind of where this leak is, and so it isolates where to open up the sheetrock to fix it. I need some new windows in my home. My house is 14 years old, and the windows are builder grade. I believe a few of the seals may be broken. What company do you recommend to install new windows? Which I already answered that. Uh, America's Choice Windows. What type of windows do you recommend? My home is a two-story, 2,300 square foot. Should I get double or triple pane windows? And how do you tell if your windows have a broken seal? Let's start with the broken seal part. You can tell the seals are broken because the window will start to either get spots in it or fog up. Once that happens, the window is toast. You're not going to clean it up again. As far as double or triple pane, in Texas, I always recommend double pane. Triple pane windows were, were developed for the northern states. Like if you're up in Minnesota and it drops down to zero or minus 30 degrees and things like that, you need that triple pane window. Quite frankly, our temperatures just don't justify the cost of a triple pane window. You will never save enough in your energy bill to offset that additional cost of going to a triple pane. Some of the window companies will will tell you, oh no, we, we do triple pane at the same price as a double. Take a look at the cost. It's not. They, they add it in. They just tell you it's that way. Nothing in life is free. And I can guarantee you that third pane of glass is not free. Stick with the double pane and you'll be just fine in our climate. I have changed air filters on a monthly basis for the last year in our 10-year-old home. However, our home seems to be overly dusty. My dad says cleaning the ducts is a waste of money, but what else can we do to prevent the dust? Guess what? Your dad's a smart man because typically, in most cases... Cleaning ducts is a waste of money. And even if you're going to have them cleaned, you got to have the right kind of duct. If you have the old gray flex duct, the inside is plastic. And when they try to run those machines through there to clean it, it tears it up and you end up replacing all the duct work. Really, the only ones that you can clean is if there's a metal inside the duct. Now, the reason you typically don't need a clean ducts is normally you have a filter you've been changing your filter all the time all the air goes through that filter first and then on out so it should be clean air going through the duct the only time there's an exception is if you've got the system shut off you're doing a lot of construction and a lot of dust goes up through the vent from from where the air should be blowing into the room then you have a reason to be cleaning out some ducts Normally, what's causing a lot of excess dust in the house can be a couple items. One, if you're burning candles in the house, it actually puts out a lot of dust. It's really a soot more than a dust. Uh, surprisingly enough, candles can do a tremendous amount of, of damage if you got a bunch of candles going on a regular basis. The other place where it happens is around your vent covers. If it's not duct or uh, caulked and sealed... It can actually draw air from the attic as it's being pushed by. And so it'll draw dust in from the attic that way. 
those two spots are major supplier of dust. Now, if you really need to try to figure out, do you need to clean your ductwork? Do this. Take off one of the return airs, reach your hand up in there, and feel the inside of your ductwork. One, that's going to tell you if it's plastic in there. Two, if there is a lot of dust, you're going to have it on your hand. If it ain't getting on your hand, there's nothing to clean. So that's just a quick way to check it out for you instead of spending a bunch of money for duct cleaning that just doesn't need to be done. Mark writes in, I just purchased my first home and already see the projects lining up. Mark, welcome to home ownership. My pool decking being one of them. Right now I have minor cracking going on the west side decking of my pool, deep inside. During my pool inspection by a Veterans Pool Inspection in Keller, the gentleman suggested that I find a foundation company to address the decking as a pool company would sub the job out. Also, I'm getting soil erosion, which is part of the problem. Stepping on the grass on the outer edge of the decking, you can feel the dirt underneath is soft and some of an individual trim rock outer edging has sunk into the grass as well. Thanks for a great show today. Also, contacted the Radiant Barrier Company and door refinishing guests via their website for estimates. Great. Well, Mark, let me tell you, the very first thing you want to address since you have some movement going in the soil is get that taken care of. Because if you don't, no matter what you do to that deck, it's subject to move again. And more than likely what's happening is as the soil is eroding a little bit, the deck is dropping and hence you're getting the cracking. So you may have to, you know, I don't know if you need to do some small retaining walls or something to stiffen up the soil. That's something we would have to look at to know a real answer for that. But let's let's address that problem first. As far as the deck, if it's not in really bad shape, it can either be mud pumped or urethane injected to, to pick it up and uh, hold it back in place once the soil erosion problem is taken care of. I like your show and I listen often. I have a very large circle driveway made of aggregate concrete. It is nine years old and is developing some cracks. They appear to be getting worse over time. Is there a sealant or any kind I can apply to reduce cracking process? Others or other suggestions. Also, the wooden spacers between the sections are rotting out. Should I replace the new wood spacers or is a caulking compound an option for that replacement? Thank you. And uh, that comes from Gary. Well, Gary, uh, let's start with the uh, wood that's rotting out. You can replace the wood if you want or you can get some rubberized sealants to put down in there. Uh, there are also, uh, especially for driveways, I a lot of times recommend a uh, product called Trim-A-Slab. And it's Trim-A-Slab. Uh, basically, it is a roll of rubberized material that you can slide down into that opening so it seals up the cracks or not cracks, it seals up the, the gap that used to have the wood in it. Now, it comes in different widths, so you have to measure what size you need uh, in order to order it. You can go online to order it at trim-a-slab. Uh, I've seen it at some of the Ace hardware stores, but I don't think all of them carry it. So that 
product could be used. Or if you stop in at one of the Rental One locations, they have a caulking, and it can come in a very large type tube or the, the regular size caulking tubes. But uh, basically, you only need to have like a half inch to put this on, and it self-levels. So you need to fill in below, you know, because the concrete's four inches thick. You'll want to have something filled in below, because otherwise the material it, it it's it's uh, liquid enough that it will run down beside the boards. If you don't have something filled in there, you can use yoke. You could fill it with sand, anything like that. And like I said, get it to where you only have to have about a half inch of this product. Fill the gap. It levels itself out, and it it seals up as well so it looks very good when it's done uh, it's light gray in color it's not the cheapest product you'll ever buy but it does a fabulous job for you we, we talked about painting a little while ago and primer and I just I, if you have you know because we had that one caller called in that had the dark paint and they tried to paint over it and it kept bleeding through that is what a sealer is for and so if you're having an issue where you're going to paint over either a dark color or a bright color, like a bright red or something like that, a lot of times if you will paint it first with a primer sealer, then paint your primary color, whatever you're wanting to change it to, you solve your problem. You don't have to go with multiple layers of the high-end paint. Your primer sealer is going to be way cheaper than using... Uh, you know, a $40 a gallon paint that you got to put three or four coats on in order to cover it up. And typically your primer sealers, you're only talking, you know, $17 a gallon, something like that. So it, it is much, much cheaper to use. One thing, though, when you're using it, people tend to want to try to spread paint out too thin. You don't want to have it so thick that it starts running but you also don't want it so thin that you're just looking through it. So my rule of thumb when I'm using a paint roller on a sheetrock wall, I'll make about two passes down the wall after I've loaded my roller up with paint. Then I'll get it loaded up with paint again, make another two couple passes. Then I'll start spreading it out a little bit, but not very far, maybe one more roller with down the wall then you go back to the top and start dragging it from the top down back to the top down top down so that you're you're pulling all the paint and this is whether you're doing primer or finish paint pulling everything in the same direction it comes out much better in the end that way when when you see them on tv and they're doing that w shape all the time who paints that way that will show through in your final paint if you don't spread it out and get everything to the same thickness and stuff. And since we're getting close to Christmas, I'm going to give you some Christmas gift ideas. Uh, if you have a new homeowner, or I shouldn't even say a new homeowner, somebody who's just moved out on their own, they're getting their first place, whether it's an apartment or a house, doesn't matter. Everybody needs some tools. Everybody needs a hammer, pliers, screwdriver set and a pair of channel locks these are key tools that you can do almost any repair minor repair in a home you can hang pictures you know all that kind of stuff 
So those make some really nice gift ideas. And if you go to Ace Hardware, the box stores, different places like that, they'll sell little toolkits that have all these items already put together that you can give to the new homeowner. Now, if you've got somebody who, you know, they've been out for a long time, uh, no do-it-yourselfer has enough tools ever. The kind of tools you want to look for for somebody like that, cordless tools, they're always great to get. Uh, if they've got a table saw, you can get them a dado bl uh, blade set for the table saw. Different things like that to maybe accompany some of the tools they have. Maybe they've got a, uh, a router you know, for cutting designs into the wood, get them a router uh, bit set. They're interchangeable with the different routers. So there's all kinds of gifts that you can get for the do-it-yourselfer guy or girl. And you know what? It's about 50-50 these days, whether it's a guy or a girl doing the do-it-yourself stuff. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.